everyone welcome back to another episode of the balanced blues brothers podcast today it's me travis joined by travis tyler ola and our new probably bordering on full-time guest uh is going to be jordan cohen we're really excited to have you on you really have kind of built a really good rapport with us over twitter and getting to hear your thoughts and stuff we feel like you'd be a good good addition to this so for all listeners out there go ahead and give yourself an introduction yeah hey so thank you guys for like bringing me on it's really exciting yeah my twitter is uh at sports underscore by underscore stats because i used to have a stats website been a chelsea fan for a long time and yeah i'm really excited to to start potting with you guys yeah looking forward to it too and you know i think i i, I feel like i kind of go more on the stat side of thing and then i'll go from there it's kind of like my foundation for analysis and uh ola maybe more similar travis maybe not so much so we get kind of have like a spectrum of like stats uh, and how much we use that here so it's i guess that gives us a good good uh balance I, I spend too much time arguing with people about like why stats are a good common currency to use like in any discussion but so hopefully we don't have to do that too much today so we we are going to be here to review the tottenham match yesterday uh that was a 2-0 win for chelsea and Looking back on what we saw earlier, it's been a lot of malaise, a lot of sluggishness, uh, poor results, dis, you know, players that look distrodden and, you know, just uninterested to be there. Um, we saw a lot of that going on. And now the match yesterday really saw a reversal, of a lot of those fortunes. And we really saw a squad that was clicking, uh, dominating the match, bringing it to Tottenham, getting chances, creating chances, taking some of their chances. But uh, you know, the, the moment of the match, I think everybody is going to agree, was just this jaw-dropping goal by Hakeem Ziyech. Maybe the be- it probably will win goal of the season up there. If it doesn't win goal of the season for Chelsea, we'll absolutely finish second place to Kovacic's goal against Liverpool. So we're talking one of the goals of the season contender for our club, maybe even in the entire Premier League. Uh, just a wonder strike where he curls that, has it dipping down. And right into the side net uh, of the upper 90, right in the corner uh, of the far, the far post from Hugo Lloris. And it was such a good shot that Lloris just stood there flat-footed and watched it. And you could kind of like in his head see, he's like watching it. Oh, it's going to break away. No, it's not. Yes, it is. No, it's not. So, uh, you know, it was, uh, it was just a great shot. Nothing that the keeper's really going to be able to do there. Um, so hats off to ZX. So, and we also had the other goal uh, rounded off from a Mason Mount corner, went to the head of Thiago Silva. And the guy has just proven time and time again that he's probably uh, the best free signing we've had. I actually was just on the CSE Talk podcast yesterday. We were having this discussion. Is there a better free signing than Thiago Silva for Chelsea? I can't remember one. Um, But without further ado, I'll kick it off to you, Jordan. Uh, Get you in on this. Get you started with us. You know, what were some of the – we'll just kind of start generally for everybody. What were your big things that stuck out? Just kind of your breakdown of the match. Um, and you know, anybody else who wants to chime in feel free to go ahead and keep the discussion going. Yeah. Thanks. So I, I mean, I'm a huge Hakeem Ziyech fan. I've been saying, I think he should very likely start most matches. I keep seeing he's a specialist player and I just, I, I mean, he's the best presser we have in the front three and that includes Tino, Timo Werner, who is outstanding and Mason Mount, who I guess is midfield who's also outstanding, but ZX just he was so good against Tottenham he did so many things he was recovering the ball he was doing his best to tackle pressing and the goal and I I don't know I'm a very big fan I I think that what he provides for us opens up space in a way we don't have other players that do that because almost all of our other attackers just love to run into the box and Ziek doesn't. Ziek does not run into the box. He does not do that. But what he does is really unique, like where he stands, how he presses. So, yeah, I'm a big fan. I think Hakeem Ziek is also slowly just showing that I don't know who you'd rather have starting, whether it's as an inside forward or a wing. 
So that's my view, though. Yeah, uh, for me, you know, when when he when he was deployed at left wing against Manchester City, and of course he was he was having a bad game because when you're a left footer and you're not quick, and you don't usually run down the wing, which Ziyech hardly ever does, he hovers around the top of the box and the wings and tries to, you know, swing one in. He didn't suit him at all. And while I saw the outrage on how he was playing bad and how he's always doing this and he's always letting us down. And the question I asked was, why why is he at left wing? I, I, I genuinely couldn't understand that. And while, to be fair, many people tried to explain to me, Jordan, you are one of them who, who tried to explain to me. I just felt it only worked once against Mahomo. Why are we still doing this? But, you know, if... If the game against Spurs showed anything, it was that when he is on that wing, you get 15 times the effectiveness than if he's on the left wing. And that, that much is clear. I mean, he attempted 10 crosses in the match and he still didn't look like he was swinging in crosses every time he had the chance. He did, he did a lot of that. But ultimately, you know, what I noticed about the... The chance he created for Hudson Odoi that Hudson Odoi, you know, headed wide was that many times no one is in that in that area to be on the end of those crosses. And when no one is in that area, he either has to try and locate the only one, the only person in the box, or he just passes it back. And sometimes a cross is just your best chance of creating a chance or creating a big chance, especially when you play against a sports team that are not going to really give you the space to pass between them and, you know, and, and tread through passes through them. Sometimes the cross is all, is all you have. And if if I want anyone crossing the ball at Chelsea, it's, it's yet I want crossing the ball because he doesn't just cross the normal type of cross. He crosses the kind of cross that even if the defender knows what's coming, even if the goalkeeper knows what's coming, it's still very difficult to deal with. I think other than the goal, his work rate, his defensive contributions were, you know. Did you, I, just I was just gonna say impressive. real quick, Ola, did you see that he like led the team yesterday, like in tackles and pressures and duels and uh, like several defensive metrics? He he yeah. led our team in yesterday. Defensive actions. He made more defense. No one made more defensive actions than him. He didn't lead the team in pressing. That was Jorginho, but you know he was pressing from the front. He came. He came up behind Mount, but generally he made a lot of tackles, was tracking back often. And I saw someone say, you know, he doesn't have the, he can't be a William in terms of tracking back. And if if we were watching yet and you say he doesn't track back as well as William, then I don't know who, who it is that we've been watching, you know. And I, I remember after the, the Aston Villa game, I would admit it was a bit of agenda pushing on my part. But after the Aston Villa game, the second one we played, I I mentioned, you know, that Ziyech had nine defensive actions against Aston Villa in the first leg. And we kept a clean sheet. And, you know, he didn't create chances. He didn't do any of his dazzling uh, 40-yard long balls or crosses. And many people said he had a bad game. And then he wasn't there against Aston Villa. And, you know, we were not so comfortable defensively. But that's just that was just me trying to be a bit clever. But I, I was just trying to outline to highlight his his defensive contributions. Many say he's lazy, and I still don't understand where they get that from. You can't play for Ajax and be lazy in the first place. And he played for Ajax for four years. You can't you can't play there and be lazy. Who are you not to press at Ajax? You know, so it was very good to see him pull pull out a performance like that because he was due one. He's been in and out of injuries. He's been in and out of form. He's been moved around, and no, no, no. Chelsea attacker really has has had the luxury of playing in their favorite position throughout their stay here. They've had to play at wing backs. Some have played at right backs. Some have played at center forward when they are not. Some have played, you know. So it's been up and down. The, the there was a big difference between the Brighton game and this one, in that I think. Largely, it was the formation. I am beginning to come around on the back four. Not that we need it, but we may not be so bad in it. I've seen, uh, 
I think the 4 2 2 2, there's a way the dynamic works, though it ended up being a 4 1 4 1. But there's a way it works that we have more options attacking and still have a lot of bodies to, to cover for the defense. So I think the 4 2 2 2 might be something we see more of, especially with what ZH has done now. Hopefully, it continues like that. And, you know, it was really, it was a really good game to watch by all angles. You know, seeing sports get another goal disallowed, that was just, that was just nice. Yeah, and I think one thing I wanted to, you know, pass over to Travis and ask him that I picked up on from what you're saying is, you know, you're talking about the Hakeem ZX ability to cross and how, you know, he has that ability to do what very little uh, players in our squad are able to do. So, Travis, I was going to ask you, and I think this is maybe worth asking, you know, we've seen the, you know, we saw the injuries to, to Reese James and to Ben Chilwell, and we've seen, you know, the effect that had on that three at the back system with the two wingbacks. And I think, you know, after it was obvious, so many fans were able to point that out. And then Tuchel finally, you know, as we are, he, he was slower to react, obviously. So the manager, you know, he just won the Champions League with that system. But now we see him shift to a back four. And I was going to ask you, do you think that Hakeem Ziyech is getting all of this playing time now? at this forward or in this winger inside forward role because we don't have Chilwell and Reese James's ability to get in and be that support attacking players as a wing back and specifically Reese James's crossing ability into the box. Do you think that Ziek is kind of compensating for that? And that's partly why we've moved away from the, from the back fours because we just, or we, the back three, because we just don't have the personnel and then Ziek in a back four can provide some of what we currently, or we, what we used to have. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't see a point of using three at the back if you don't have the wingbacks for it. And when Chilwell and James are out, we don't have the wingbacks for it. So I understand why he persisted with it, but we, we just didn't have the ability to make it as effective. And, I mean, honestly, we don't really have the right players for a back four to work, but you can get away with things with those fullbacks that you can't get away with with wingbacks like we've seen. Honestly, I think the reason Ziyech is playing so much is Tuchel's just decided he's one of his guys. I, I don't know when that exactly happened, but Lukaku, Mount, Ziyech, those are our front three if it comes down to it. I don't know what's going on with Timo Werner or Kai Havertz. Maybe, maybe it's still COVID recovery. I don't know. Like Callum hudson Odoi's kind of in and out. Pulisic hasn't really played a whole lot, and when he has, he hasn't really done anything. So – I think Tuchel's just landed on these three. Uh, I don't want to get too carried away with the four of the back stuff, though, because we did use it against Brighton, and we were terrible against Brighton, ZH included. And we didn't, like you mentioned, we didn't really make too many big sweeping changes from Brighton into Tottenham other than who we were playing. And, you know, it was more of a Tuchel called it a 4 1 4 1. I'll, I'll call it a 4-3-3 because it just makes more sense in my head. But, I mean, there's really not that much of a difference from what we did. And maybe it's just, you know, we're playing Tottenham. We turn up for it no matter what. And Brighton, we just assumed we were going to roll over, and we got rolled over a little bit by them. Um, I mean, it, Brighton's a good team. But it, I don't know. I just can't get carried away with this four-of-the-back stuff until I see it for more than a game at a time and for more than just us beating Spurs with it. Yeah. So I want to talk about the ZX thing really quickly, because I think there's a match that has gotten forgotten because of the champions league win, but the second man city match in the premier league last year, ZX, I don't remember if he starts or if he comes off the bench, but what ZX does, that's so important. I think Tuchel's kind of like without Reese James, there's nobody that does this is he stands at the outside right of the right half space. And that means the other team has two choices. One is they press him, which opens up a ton of space. Um, And so like what Brighton did is they pressed him and they basically were like, we don't think Lukaku is going to get through our center backs. And I think it was a new system. They weren't really sure what to do. And Brighton was correct. But I think as they learned that system, if Ziek gets pressed, there's a ton of space. If they don't press Ziek, he's going to whip that ball on, not to somewhere like what a Trent Alexander-Arnold does at Liverpool. Um, and I just think that's really valuable. And I think we, you, I, 
I think you can play he and Reese James together and do some really interesting things, like some cool interchanges. Uh, but yeah, I think that's when Ziyech became Tugel's guy and then Ziyech got hurt. And just, it's been kind of off and on since then. But I think this is it. But that's my, I know Ola has a maybe different same view. So I'll let him kind of take it. Yeah, well, just real quick, the whole 4-3-3 thing we did, normally uh, you would have James or Chilwell be the ones creating the width. And against Spurs, it was ZH on one side, Hudson Odoi on the other. And then Mount and Kova were kind of filling in those channels, which a little different than what we normally do. But, you know, if that's the way to get us our width back, and then, you know, Reese James is perfectly capable of coming into midfield like Osbele Cueto was doing, not, you know, overlapping all the way, but – it does have its uses. I understand. Yeah, I, I think you know we, we've been told Tukul is a is a big stats guy. He he's big on stats and he looks at the numbers. And sometimes when you hear him speak, you know that he's he he, he makes sure he's on top of the the, the 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 numbers and the way his team is performing when it comes to the stats. I think you know we we struggled against City. We struggled against Brighton. And at some point, it seemed we would we didn't know who our front three should be, and every other part of the team was picking itself except the front three. So I think what Tuku did was he he just decided to start the guys who were performing the best across several situations, like big chances, chances created, you know, frequency of of chances created. I I wrote I wrote an article on this and. The more the more I did research and the more graphs I plotted, the more I realized Werner and, and Harvard were much worse in terms of chance creation. And while you know many say Harvard should start at center forward, let's be honest, Harvard is not going to start at center forward when Lukaku is fit. And a lot of times the the rage for Werner to for Harvard rather to start at center forward is just because of the Lukaku interview, really. Because when you hear them saying the, the fluidity, I mean, we played, we played, we played Harvard as a center forward against Norwich City. We put seven past them, and Harvard did not register a goal. He didn't register an assist, and he registered only one shot creating action, not a key pass, a shot creating action. And it shows that we can deduce anything we want to deduce when we win. When we when we batter a team for now, we can hit praise on who we want to hit praise on because. No one will really challenge you because I mean you just you just won seven zero, but at the end of the day, Harvard doesn't create as much as the rest. Werner, I would admit that Werner has not had as much chances to to show what he can do, but I suspect you know like Travis Tyler mentioned some time ago that the arrival of Lukaku was going to affect one of Harvard and Werner, and initially it seemed to be Werner, and now it seems it's both of them. Because Werner is a striker at the end of the day. Yes, he's not he's, he's not clinical and he's wasteful, but he is a striker. And we bought him as a center forward. And uh, Harvard is, you know, is he has shown that he the most effective place to play him is, is is the center forward position because he's not creative enough to play on the on the wings, not creative enough to play as one of the tens. I think looking at the numbers closely, it it makes sense why. Tuko decided to, to rely on, on Cho, Ziyech, Mount, and Lukaku. I won't count Lukaku in that because I feel Lukaku starts regardless of, you know, whatever. Because at the end of the day, Lukaku is our best finisher. I saw a lot of irritation with the chances he missed against, against Spurs. I saw people talk about how he shouldn't miss the chance he missed against City. And except he's not been paying attention to center forwards since the beginning of time, that's a, that's, that chance is not a chance that you miss because you're a bad striker. You miss that chance regardless of, you know, you miss that. I've seen I've seen Haaland miss that chance time and again in, in matches. I've seen Aguero miss that chance. I've seen Lewandowski miss. I've seen Lewandowski miss worse chances. So, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, Lukaku took that, that game very well. But that, that shot rather very well. Ederson just pulled out a brilliant save. Most of the time, top strikers miss far more than they score. If they don't create chances for them, then it's, it looks like, you know, they're just missing and not scoring. So, Sorry, I just want to say real quick, like, for anyone that doesn't believe what Ola is saying, 
go look at the last like five years of Robert Lewandowski's goals to big chances missed in the in the Bundesliga. Almost every single yeah. season, he leads in goals, but he leads in the number of big chances that he missed. Yeah, and exactly. so, I mean, it's it's a clear pattern. Almost every top scorer in every league misses more chances and they convert. And that's where I, I, I get lost in this minutia of people that want to argue about what is a quote-unquote quini- clinical striker, you know? like well, And then you tell them, well, actually, by the numbers, the most clinical people miss more than they make. So is the clinical striker Lewandowski, or is there some League One striker who gets five chances and puts in 40% of them every, you know, every three games? Who's more clinical? You know, so sorry to go on a tangent there, but I, I've I've been arguing with people about this the past few days. So it's just, you're kind of you're kind of feeding into my fire right now. Yeah, I, I mean, I I had I had a, a conversation with with Travis and the Pride of London guys. I also said that there's no clinical striker, but on reflection and when Travis Tyler mentioned that, you know, it makes more sense that there are clinical strikers than there aren't, and I realized that. If you convert 50% of your big chances, you are, you are out of this world, really. Haaland averages, you know, around that, around that figure. I think Vlaovic is converting up to 60-something percent right now. So it's, it's very easy to, to look at players' goal tallies and say, oh, he's not, he's not good, he's, he's swapping. But at the end of the day, you know, we, we created a few decent chances for Lukaku against Tottenham. So now we can blame him. How how often does that happen? I mean, he was getting close to, he was getting 0.9 big chances per game for him alone at Inter. We've not even created a fraction of that for him at Chelsea. So I think before we before we move into the Lukaku should be sold, he's, he's a flop thing. He's the best striker we have. He's the most clinical finisher we have. Harvard is actually quite wasteful. I don't know if anyone has, has noticed the chances he misses and compared to the chances he scores. It's quite, it's quite wasteful. So I think Lukaku's place in the team is locked, not particularly because of brilliance, but because if you want a chance to fall to him, Lukaku is still the one you want it to fall to at the end of the day. So I think I think that's the reason why Tuko settled on those he settled on. He decided to look at numbers and decide to settle on a few because we can't the attack can't build the synergy that they need if they don't play together often. Hudson, uh, I don't have any presence of mind to get on, on that swing, on that cross ZH, ZH had. It's only something that you do when you've played with ZH a number, of time, or a number of times. And you know he's probably going to, so I need to get there. If you, know, if you stand close to him waiting for him to, to give you a square pass, he'll give you a square pass. And at the end of the match, people will get irritated again that, you know, ZH doesn't create the big chances. So I, I just wanted to offer that as as the reason why I think he has decided to settle on that. Yeah, and I think like part of what we're seeing with this, right? We're seeing Ziyech come in the match. We're seeing this Lukaku criticism. So I will open up now. You know, so we've seen at first, I guess the first thing I'd ask is, what do you think of Lukaku's performance? And then, you know, not just of the performance against Tottenham, but how do you how do you see this working out for him? Um, you know, I'll just start it off. I think it's very much a mixed bag. And this is where I get this is where I get frustrated talking about Lukaku with people is I think that there, there's been such a hyper polarization of, of him as a player and being at Chelsea and all of this stuff that it almost feels like I mean, I'm it's becoming almost impossible to talk with very many people in a rational way about Lukaku. It's such a knee jerk, emotional, you know, get the hell out of my club, blah, blah, blah. You're useless. You don't do anything good. You know, I, I've even had people go as far to say is that they are better footballers than Lukaku, and it's not even a question. And I'm, and that's where I just like, okay, this is just, and and it's not just like any one person. You know, there's there's like there's many people who've expressed this on the timeline that he's a worthless footballer. You probably have seen like the one thousand Lukaku TikToks that have been made and all of that. So, I mean, he's really kind of public enemy number one around Chelsea right now. So, Travis, what do you think about this situation? What do you think about his performance in Tottenham? And what do you think about his future going forward? I still say people need to get over themselves. Tuchel got past the interview. Everyone else can get past the interview. I don't know why, like, all these people were saying back Tuchel. And then he's like, all right, let's move on from Lukaku and not worry about it anymore. It's under the bridge. And then people are still bringing it up. Like, just move on. This happens all the time. 
people could get over Diego Costa trying to leave for China in the middle of a Premier League title race. Like they can get over Lukaku having a badly timed interview. I thought he played well against Spurs. I mean, he didn't score, but you know, he was putting in much more work than he normally does. He was pinning three defenders back at a time for Ziyech and Hudson Odoi and Mason Mount and Kobo to find space. He was finally getting the ball to his feet instead of his head, which for whatever reason, he's terrible when it comes to his head. That's a whole other issue. But when he comes to his feet, he's able to link up other people and do totally fine. He's not going so, anywhere. Go yeah, ahead. So, I'm, I'm just going to be on a rant if I keep going. <laughs> no, so like I am one of the guys that didn't love the Lukaku signing. And I, I think like it's for like the finishing stuff is all crap. Like he's a phenomenal finisher. Um, I think his holdup play has always needed work. And I think he's not a great presser. What I will say, since the interview, he has been pressing his butt off. Like, he has been working really hard. And I actually think the holdup play is getting a little bit better. Uh, Travis, to your point, like, I don't know that I'll ever think Lukaku is a perfect Tuchel striker, right? But that doesn't mean Tuchel didn't want him. And it doesn't mean Tuchel is not going to be able to use him. And I think one of the advantages of having a guy like Kim Ziyech is that Again, where he stands, you're either going to give him wide open space to cross or one of those three guys that should be pinning Lukaku is pressing Ziyech. And then Lukaku can just turn. I mean, that you need three guys because you need to block off both ways he can turn. Uh, and if you don't have three, he's going to turn the one way. So I, I'm hopeful. Pessimistic, but yeah. kind of hopeful. Yeah, and that's kind of like where I'm at is I, I think there's some cause for concern. It's a mixed bag, right? There are things he's not doing well. But, and that's the, but that's the thing, like Jordan, you mentioned, like he has been working a lot harder, but yet, I mean, there's still been so many that say like he doesn't do anything. So it's, it's almost to the point where like in the fan base, it, it, you can really tell like who's on what side of which with the Lukaku interview, because, you know, I, I, I talked to a few people that are very much kind of like myself, where it's like, okay, this isn't a good situation, but at the end of the day, he's here, the finances that we have committed to Lukaku so just running a quick and dirty thing, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but just knowing what his transfer fee was, the length of his contract, and the wages he's paid every week, if we were to sell him this summer, we would have functionally have, I think it was uh, whatever 38 million, 38 times four is. So you're talking like a 142 mil, or yeah, $142 million loss is what we would have if we sell him this summer. And if anybody doesn't know about how like finances and this type of stuff work, this isn't a Chelsea bought Lukaku and paid a hundred million pounds last summer. That hundred million is paid out throughout the duration of his contract to enter Milan. It's called amateurized value. And that's the thing is basically if we sell Lukaku this summer, he's still on the books as far as amateurized value is concerned for the next four years. So unless we want to really start every single transfer, no, you know, no summer transfer window with a 40 million pound loss, for the next four years, then you're going to keep Romelu Lukaku. And that's all there is to it. He's going to be here probably for a couple more years at the least. And I don't see enough with him right now to say that he's doing well. But conversely, he still has the best goal per game ratio of anybody in our attack. Uh, he still has, he is posting a more clinical season in terms of shots on target per goal than he has at any point in his entire career. So there are still things that he he's doing that we brought him in to do. It's just that there's been a lot of moving parts. And I also have to put the caveat. I don't know. I don't think it's coincidental that Lukaku was in, I mean, those first few games with us, I mean, he was just destroying people. I mean, it was goals and involvement running at teams. And then he got hurt, got a pretty nasty ankle injury. Then he got COVID. Then Chilwell and James went out and our entire collapse, our entire attack just completely collapsed. So I just think there are a lot of mitigating circumstances for what we're seeing with Lukaku specifically, but yet there has still been enough to suggest that this move is on a total failure. And I, I don't understand the hyper-personalization or, or polarization that fans are now going into and how they're taking this as a personal thing to basically every chance they get slander against the record signing of our club, who was last time I checked, still wearing the badge um, I, I, I just want to greet those things. Oh, I'll let you get in. We got about a minute and a half here and then we'll switch over, but I'll, I'll let you get on this and give your final thoughts on the Lukaku situation. Yeah. For me, I, I mentioned it that 
after this, after that interview, many would, many would, uh, would over criticize and over analyze his performances, and that's exactly what ha what has happened. Chelsea should prove me wrong just once, just once they should prove me wrong. But I, I, I think what I mentioned is that anytime he doesn't score, people will get angry and say he played nonsense, he was he was bad. But I agree with Travis. I think Lukaku played well. I think Lukaku played well against Spurs. I think he, he should have gotten some goals, yes, but ultimately he was okay. Uh I suspect the the I suspect the outrage was his air shot. And as far as I'm concerned, we didn't really create that much for him because we didn't create any clear-cut chance for him, really. So it's it's just one of those things. Every, everyone will overreact until he starts scoring goals again. And it's just something we'll have to we'll have to we'll have to show that until you know he starts scoring again. But it, the overcriticism of Lukaku is getting old now really. I'm, I'm sick of the of the Lakaka prop and all of that. It's, it's, it's getting old now really. Yeah, it's it's getting beyond old. I mean, I'm over it. I guess we'll go ahead and end the Lukaku segment there and, and swiftly move on. All right, so we kind of wrapped up our dis our discussion on Romel Lukaku, and we'll get more depth into that uh, next week for our State of the Club, where we kind of give a midseason address. Um, as you know, and I think one of the biggest takeaways for me, we're kind of going to get into our own takeaways from this uh, from this Spurs match and this two 0 win. Kind of my biggest takeaway was how this team looked like it was night and day, completely different. And I think why that's my biggest takeaway is because of the players that we saw executing. First off, we see Malang Sar fill in at left back. And where has this been? I mean, if, if he can play like this consistently, now we've seen against Man City, we've seen good performances again and again recently from him. I think that we have somebody who can play this left back role for us and make this back four more viable because I don't trust Marcus Alonso right now as a left back at 31 years old. I love you, Marcus. You're one of my favorite players, but geez, it's... I think you need to go to a league that's a little bit slower paced for you and let you enjoy the, the final stage of your career at this point. But you, you, you have one, you're going to probably leave Chelsea having won everything. So tons of credit to you there. But I think that, you know, the, the, the SAR news, how he's, how he's really developing and, and coming into his own is great. Also, another thing is had the injuries not happened, maybe we don't even discover that we have this kind of player in our ranks um, waiting, waiting to be used. But uh, conversely, I, I'm really impressed with how Ziyech, you know, given what he looked like against Brighton and given what he looked like against Tottenham, there's so much more hope now. And it goes to what you were saying, Ola, the fact that we're now using him in the right, how every, I, I think this is how Lampard envisioned Hakeem Ziyech being used and it's devastating. And that's why I was so pumped to have him bringing, uh, bringing him into the squad last year. I think those are my biggest takeaways. The fact that we saw this tactically and formationally fluid uh, approach against Tottenham and how we saw the right players who previously had not been doing the right things, doing everything that we expected them to do. We saw a lot more out of Lukaku. Even though he didn't have the goal, we saw a lot more where he was – there was a one play where he literally held the ball up and, like, knocked a guy over and bumbled over him and still kept the ball. Like, we saw more hold-up play from him. We saw more uh, of him, you know, creating more, running into the channels. I, I thought I saw more from his performance that was good. I saw a lot from Ziyech. I saw a lot from Sara. And so I'll pose you guys. What are some of your biggest takeaways – uh, maybe as a squad, uh, collective, you know, kind of takeaway as well as individual. Yeah, I mean, for I, me, it was... Uh, no, go, go ahead, Jordan. Yeah, so I don't see formation in, like... Uh, I think Travis Tyler made this point earlier, right? Like, formation is, eh. Like, it, it, it matters, but to me, I see, like, defensive formation, transition formation, and attack formation. And I think the biggest difference in this 4141, 4-3-3, 4-2-2-2, 4-4-2, whatever it is, and it's fluid, is what happens in attack, where with the 3-4-2-1, it is a 3-2-5 in attack, where you have two guys in the midfield. And that is reliant then on your press being really, really, really good. If your press is not really good, which like, Again, I think Lukaku's worked much harder, but like he's not generally a good presser. Like it's just not a skill set. It's not going to be as good. And then your midfield's going to get overrun. And I think what Tuchel did, not against Brighton, but against Tottenham, is that two, three, five, uh, where there's another guy in mid in the midfield while you're in the attacking phase. 
And I think, I don't know what the base formation is going to be. I, I hear the different things like, Oh, you say all the time about like being a center back in a back four, at least defensively is harder right than, than in a back three. I, I, I don't know. I, I think Rudiger can do it, but I'm a Rudiger stand. So that's my own thing. But I, I think from here on out, at least until Reese James comes back, but I think the rest of the season, we'll start running this like two, three, five in attack where you leave two defenders back, but then stack the midfield kind of like Pep's teams. Yeah. I think the, 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 the back four was a big positive for me, though. I agree. We should temper our excitement. I know many people want to see a back four because I think it does give us more attacking options and our attack probably does work better. I've said that the, the three, four, three formation, helped the defense and the midfield more than it helped the attack. And so we notice the defenders doing very well and we don't see the attackers doing as well. And so it seems, oh, the attack is the problem. But there's a reason we spent as much as we spent on the attack. And I'm not, I'm not one of those who is quick to spend a lot of money on a player and then go, I've seen enough after one season. I mean... We spent 72 million on Harvard. What, what do we do? Sell him? Because he doesn't create the big chances and doesn't score as many goals as we brought him to. At the end of the day, he's 21. You know, these players still have a lot of years ahead of them. Ziyech is 28. He's in, he's in his prime. Zvena is 25. Lukaku, we spent 98 million on. Many of these players are not players that you can easily get rid of. Yeah. Who you sell Lukaku to now? I mean, he, he just came in. So ultimately, I think I think I have to give a lot of credit to Rudiger in the in the the four at the back. I think he has he has played well all the times we've played a four at the back this season. He has played very well. Yes, he has a tendency to run forward, but I don't think that's any, that's something you can coach out of him right now. But ultimately, Tuku said, you know, coaching a back four is is a lot of work and requires a lot of communication instructions. And I think. If we do go to a back four, we could be fine because Tuko will know how to coach that. But I I'm not, I mean, I'm not going to die on the hill of if we go to a back four and we still have Rudiger, we'll concede 500 goals this season. I won't die on that hill. But when he plays well, it's clear that he, he has played well. And he did his own beat in, against Tottenham. I think, I think Malangsa is a viable option for centre-back and left-back. I agree that, you know, Marcus Alonso, my problem with Marcus, well, not my problem, but what I've noticed about Marcus Alonso is when we come into a game and he plays as a defensive wing back, he plays well. If he plays as an offensive wing back, he plays well, but he just can't do the two. And unfortunately, you can't not do the two. That's the problem with the role. The problem with the role is you can't do one and ignore the other. There will be problems. So that's just my own takeaway, but other than that, I think Max Alonso is is fine. But I agree that seeing more of yes, I, I, I agree that seeing more of Max Alonso in 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 a left back position, if we if we can if Malangsa can do the job, then we should play Malangsa there. We all agree Max Alonso is better as a wing back, so that's not difficult for me to admit. I agree that wing back is the hardest role in football, really. It's it's a lot of work. It requires a lot of precision. It requires a lot of stamina. You get blamed if you defend well and don't attack well. You get blamed if you attack well and don't defend well. They are almost treated like defenders, but also creative wingers. They're expected to be both. So I, I, I liked what I saw from Rudiger. I liked what I saw from Silva. I liked what I saw from Saar. I think there are diff- there are a few things that would be important if we are playing this, this formation. Uh, our attack is giving more opportunity to express themselves. I mean, we saw the ZS goal came from Otsundor, and I don't think Otsundor gets enough credit for the role he played in that in that goal as well. He more or less did his thing to get past two players, run down the wing, and cut inside and pass the ball to ZS. He's, he's an excellent ball carrier, Otsundor, and a lot of times when we criticize him, we forget that Players at, at his age, I think he's 20 or 19, players at his age are not fully developed starting wingers for clubs like Chelsea. So while we can, you know, we can 
do all the it's not Chelsea standard. This is the standard they expect from our strikers or our wingers or whatever, because that's very easy to do. Yeah, a Chelsea striker, you should be hitting 30 goals a season. Which Chelsea striker has ever hit that? You know, it's easy to say this is Chelsea level. We've never really had strikers that were firing for us. So when you think about it, a Chelsea level striker is a striker who doesn't score 30 goals a season. But ultimately, the, the whole Chelsea standard thing is just used to unfairly criticize players a lot of times and discredit the work they do. I, and that was why, I, that was mainly why I did the, the research I did because it's, I had to see, you know, Ryan Sterling was, if we had a Ryan Sterling, I see people calling for us to buy Ryan Sterling. Look at Sterling, look at Mares, look at Salah. These players play in different systems. And, you know, when you look at our team, for instance, our most creative player is who Mount or Ziet, whichever you want to choose. City's most creative player is not a forward. He's a midfielder. Liverpool's most creative player is a fullback. So at the end of the day, our, our front three has the load of creating, scoring, doing everything attackers are expected to do. And yes, we have resumes to create for us, but resumes is not as creative as, as Alexander-Arnold. The numbers say it. You know, Chiwell is not as creative. The numbers say it. And we, we, have, to, we have to learn to take a step back and, you know, observe things with a clear head. Not just look at City win someone 5-0 and go, if we had that, if only we had those attackers. You know, at the end of the day, our, our attackers were, like I said, our attackers do well in almost every other system they play. Ziet was prolific for his country. Havertz scores for Germany. Werner scores for Germany. Lukaku does well for Belgium. These players can't just become bad because they're putting on a Chelsea shirt. So at the end of the day, it's not to say... Uh, Tuchel is not getting the best out of them because he's not intentionally putting the, the forwards in a position for them not to do well. But it is more of him prioritizing defensive solidity over the team expressing themselves. And it's, 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 a, it's a sensible trade-off to make. You can't say, use a system that benefits the forwards at the expense of the defense and, and, the, and, the, mid, and the midfielder. So, you know, there were a lot of positives and there are things that if I see... Going forward, I wouldn't be I wouldn't be mad at it. I I really like what I saw from Sai. He was very composed. He joined in playing out from the back. You know, he wasn't G3. He he played very well. Kepa was also another positive, you know. He's the, the Afghan has seen us lose Mendy. And I, I'm sorry for Morocco because look at what they've missed, you know. So I'm sorry for them. That's their loss. But Kepa has stepped in and been very, very good. He has kept a clean sheet all four times he has played against Spurs this season, which is quite nice. I'm sure uh, Spurs might should be sick of the sight of him by now, but that's you know, that's just better. There are a lot of positives to take from that match, and ultimately we we will come out of this rut. This is just the first step, but I agree with Travis that we need to see this against a team that is not Spurs before we can really get excited about the 4 or whatever it is the formation was, 4 one Yeah, I mean, like, like Jordan was saying, largely formation, it just is something that's going to be really fluid. And, you know, you may see it on the defensive end. You may see it on the total possession end. But in between, you're not really going to see the same thing every time. If you're a manager, your job is to put players in positions to succeed. You know, I completely understand the whole idea of, you know, some managers have this big idea and the players should just fit into the idea. I don't buy that. I I much more believe that you look at the players you have, you put them into positions to succeed. And, you know, without wingbacks, we needed to find something different. So, we kind of did things like Pep Guardiola once did when he didn't have fullbacks that could really get forward, but he had wingers. Well, let the wingers create the width, let those fullbacks just get into midfield and let other players get forward. And that worked really well against Spurs. And, you know, that's kind of how we've been doing our four at the back because we're, we have a whole lot of center backs that they're basically fullbacks, like old, old school fullbacks. And that's kind of why the whole three at the back thing worked as it did, because, you know, Rudiger could get forward if he needed to. 
but he could also be where he needed to be defensively. And R4 at the back is just kind of expanding on that idea and just adding another center back that's actually going to stay at the back all the time. So it definitely has a way to work, and it gets us another attacker, which seems to – that alone seems to improve our attack compared to what we've seen throughout Tuchel's time. You know, I remember we were talking about this last year where, you know, defenders were scoring, midfielders were scoring, but none of our forwards were scoring. And then we won the Champions League doing that. But, you know, how sustainable – we talked about it a lot this year too, how like yeah. why are defenders are leading scorers? Is this a problem or is it not? Yeah. And like, ultimately it doesn't matter who's putting it in the net if you're winning every game, but you'd really like your striker to be the one scoring. Like I, I know whenever I play like FIFA, like if my striker's not scoring, something's gone wrong. Um, One, one thing I think that we did that was kind of interesting beyond like Lampard got fired a year ago and we basically used his tactics against Spurs. You know, there weren't a whole lot of differences. And one thing Lampard really liked to do was Timo Werner at the left wing play over whoever the striker was to Timo Werner on the far post. And that's what we did a lot with Lukaku and Callum Hudson-Odoi. We played over Lukaku to Hudson-Odoi and, you know, maybe on a different day that goes in the net and, things are a little different or even higher scoring, but we have a lot of players that can play in roles like that with Lukaku dragging people to the near post. And then the far post is open. And if you have ZH able to, you know, put in a cross like that, or even a cross that dips and turns into a shot, like his goal kind of did, like that's exactly what you want. So I don't know if four at the back is really going to be the go-to forever, but it has a lot of little interesting things that, I think it makes more sense right now when we don't have Ben Chilwell or Reese James, and we're not going to get a wing back in the next like week that's going to be able to replicate what they do to the level we need. Like I know, <clears throat> excuse me, I know people want Emerson back, but there's a reason Emerson only played left center back for Tuchel last year, and Alonso kept playing wing back. Like Emerson's not the guy. There's the guy that we need isn't in the market. So we need to find other solutions. And that doesn't mean we're not backing Tuchel. It just means that we need to think about the big picture here. And the big picture right now is there's not a wing back that's going to solve this and let us go three at the back again. I just make a quick point on Malangsar because I, and I made it, I had a whole Twitter rant about this because Chelsea fans are like, look at what Tuchel did to this guy who like couldn't succeed at Porto, who has no skill. And like, I love Tuchel. Like a Tuchel, I think is a top three manager in the world. Malangsar was like a top five prospect until like 2019 when he gets hurt and then starts losing playing time at Nice. He went to Porto. He actually like had a few like niggles last year in terms of injuries at Porto. But like towards the end of the year, he was playing a lot. Malangsar is a really talented player who's just ostensibly missed a year and a half of development. Uh, I I think Malangsar, like, I love Trevor Chalaba. I think he's great. I think Sar is equally great with equal potential. And, like, I get the Kunde love, sort of. I've also watched Kunde, and he's got, I'm not sure he's ready for the Premier League. I, I think you'd buy him and Tuchel would play him. But do I honestly believe day one he is better than Malangsar? in the premier league my answer is no because i like i actually don't think he is i think Malangsar has a lot of potential and maybe that's not at chelsea but like you see the zuma comparisons too it's like they're totally different players and again this is nothing against zuma but it's a different player zuma couldn't play fullback like sar did right travis that was your point like sars like an old school fullback or center back i i i'm a big fan so i just want to make that point no i think it's a good point to make you know he's not this you know nobody player that just turned 18 years old that got thrown into the first team that's not who this guy is and i mean we bought him as a low risk high reward option whether that was on the playing field or on the checkbook or whatever it might be that's what he was purchased for so anything that we get here on out, we really didn't have any expectations on the playing side of things. So anything that we get additionally between now until he leaves Chelsea is only nothing but a huge bonus that I don't think fans or the club really expected. 
Um, but the way he's been playing this season, you're right. He is kind of that old school defender and I I'm okay with us using an old school fullback. If it means we get Zach just doing whatever he wants, or we get more attacking presence, right? Cause it's, <clears throat> excuse me. It's, <clears throat> it's kind of like getting rid of one defender to add an attacker. And we had this thing with the three to the back. Well, why don't we have more attack and we sacrifice attack to add more defenders to stabilize blah, blah, blah. Well, this is pretty much case. Okay, so now we've added the defender to stabilize the attack and now we can have an extra attacker. So it's basically which way of this, you know, of this mirror image, do you want to, do you want to move around a player? So I think those are all really good points and, you know, it'd be a really good episode today from y'all. I'm glad to, again, Jordan, thanks so much for coming out and joining us. You're going to be kind of a recurring guy. We'll probably be back here uh, in the next week or so um, to do kind of a mid season review episode, but uh, you know, we got Club World Cup coming up as well, and we'll be previewing that for you all. And until next time, keep the blue flag flying high and give Jordan a follow sports underscore by stats underscore. If I or if I got that right, oh, there's some there's some under it's kind of like my Twitter handle. Where I've got some yeah, yeah, it, it's sports underscore by underscore stats. But if you there just search Jordan, uh, I have like a bunch of like you, you'll probably find me. It's like a graphic <laughs> image with like a dude in green background. So that, that's me. <laughs> Thanks again, and until next time, everybody, keep the blue flag flying high.